0: Do you not think she's got one of those that looks like a Roomba? Oh, a Roomba. A Roomba. (laughs) What, for all of Buckingham Palace? Poor fucking Roomba.
1: No, I mean, they'd have a fleet.
0: (laughs) Fleet of Roomba.
1: (laughs) Release the Roombas. (laughs) They'd all have a little flag on.
0: (laughs) As she's leaving the Buckingham Palace residency and she's going out, they just release just a hive of Roombas. Yeah. Yeah, some of
1: them dressed in, in disguise, incognito, as a corgi. <laughs>
0: I can just imagine it I now. bet you could give me ears and a tail. Oh, God, yeah. Well, to trick her, just so she's not scared by technology.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just, so she doesn't have, completely freak out. Because yeah. let's face it, I mean, the amount of technological change she'll have seen in her almost 100 years... Oh, yeah, yeah. ...is, like, terrifying. Could you I mean, robot hoovers... Yeah, it's a bit much. Isn't it's it? a bit much for somebody who's nearly a hundred, I think. So yeah, disguising disguising one as a pet would be a great idea. Yeah, but then she'll try and feed it. Well, it'd it wouldn't be eat, would be sad. It it'd just run away because they do, don't they? If they if they're coming towards an a, you know, a chair or a table or the edge or something, they turn
0: back the other way. Yeah, or a nearly, you know, centurion woman. Yeah, they just they it just turn around, be fine. Okay, fine. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story begins in Camelot. Mm. It does not. Mm -hmm. Got all excited then. Uh, However, it does begin in the reign of another king who in many ways was magical. It begins in the reign of King Henry VIII. I am I am. I am I am indeed. With big beard. Big beard. Big belly. Big belly. Big tood. Yeah, oh, massive tood. <laughs> He's a dude with tood. He he was he he had a rude tood. Mhm. John D was born in Tower Ward in the city of London on July the 13th, 1527. Mhm. Although his dad Roland, great name for a rat, was a textile merchant. <laughs> that's that's how he sounded he was a textile <laughs> merchant making the family comfortably middle class for the time nice he's, he's there he's not he's not
1: was there a middle class though back Definitely, then there was a because i'm not sure because you see i'm gonna i'm gonna just pause this thought here and i'm gonna birth birth some knowledge for you now because the rise of the middle class coincided because i did papers a paper in fact now i did a, a two papers on this Mm -hmm. the birth of the middle class okay i think i came to the conclusion after extensive research came with the birth of the bowler hat
0: which obviously was much much later okay he was in the mercantile class then would that be a fairer description that's better thank you so he he made his money during his lifetime he did not inherit it yeah but he still had money yeah so it in terms of, he probably had more money than a lot of the nobility, so it was more a kind of, you know, he had the money but didn't have the status. Whereas yeah. there were a lot of people who had the status but not the money. Yeah. John would later claim, though, that he was directly descended from the legendary Welsh king, Rodri the Great. Based on what? Based on the fact that he didn't want to just He just, just be... decided he wanted. Yeah. It was... It... Who's going to check? Our children do stuff like that. Yeah, but he he figured it would add to his. I'm not mystique.
1: I'm not who I say, who you say I am, Mummy. Today, I am a dragon. You okay, know, he didn't quite
0: go that far, you know. No, but it, he might as well have done. His father, definitely his father, had <laughs> ideas to improve the family station. Go on, in the traditional way, and he was able to secure a position at the court of Henry VIII mm. as a gentleman sewer. Really. Mm. interesting it was a position so he was it was almost by appointment to the king he would make some outfits for the king and he would also get uh preferential contracts because he was a trusted you know if the king allows him to make their garments then lots of the nobility want to sort of copy
1: well i suppose i mean you would have tailors and stuff mm, wouldn't yeah. you so yeah okay i get i get that like a gentleman's outfitter for the yes, day essentially yeah
0: Right. And this position allowed him to send his only son, John, to study at the best schools mm. the country had to offer, eventually making the grade to become a founding fellow of Trinity College in Cambridge. Ooh. A college that was set up by Henry VIII himself and apparently still has a bombastic statue of Henry VIII outside. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he's. His shoulders are broad, his
1: beard's massive, and so is his cob piece. Oh, yes. John was only 14 years old when he
0: became a fellow of Trinity College. Wow. Mm. Did they used to go that young? Uh, actually, it is, you know. It, it always sounds impressive, but generally speaking, if you were going to go to one of the big colleges, it was around 14, 15 at this yeah, time.
1: Yeah, I wondered. I wondered whether the age was different to how Well, it is you had now. a shorter life
0: expectancy, so yeah, you had well, to Yeah, well, that's going. what
1: I thought, because, like, everything... every person who went to college and and things that we've covered have always been a lot younger Mm. haven't they it always follows suit i've never been to
0: cambridge fine i'll take you jesus you don't Mm. have to angle for holidays i've never been to oxford either oh we'll make a weekend of it Yay! even at such an early age it was clear to see that john d he had a bit of difficulty settling on a subject for any extended period of time he wanted to know everything about absolutely everything, and he will bounce between interests at a phenomenal rate. So, today you'd say that he had some sort of attention disorder, probably. Deficit. A he deficit? Had a little bit of a deficit in terms of <laughs> his ability to attend to things. Bless him. Trying to learn all the things, though, it takes quite a lot of time. Oh, yeah. And John Dee would study for around 18 hours every day for his entire life.
1: Yeah, but there wasn't
0: Instagram. No, there wasn't. Providing a template for Margaret Thatcher in that he would only sleep for four hours. The other two hours uh, were allocated to meal times. Wow. So, yeah, he he was just a studying machine from the age of 14. Well,
1: it's I mean, it's all very well and
0: good, but how much did he retain? This is what I want to know. Well, let's find out, shall we? If there was one subject that was able to hold his attention more consistently than yeah. any other... It was the sexy, sexy world of maths. Oh no, my worst. Well he found mathematics to be oh just
1: the best. I don't see the appeal. You know, like <laughs> I've always said I think I'd be better at things like Sudoku if it was pictures, not numbers. Cause the minute it can be. I know it can be and I know it doesn't really matter, but it always is numbers, and the minute it's numbers, my brain just goes no.
0: This is scary. No, you can't do it. No. Well, do you know what? You were holding a kind of fear of maths that would have been absolutely perfect for the 1530s. Hmm. You would have been, like most of the population, seeing maths with a sense of uh, fear and mistrust. Dread. Dread I had for maths. Because it was fair to say that the Renaissance was slow to take hold in Britain. And as a result, mathematics was seen as being pretty much the same as studying the occult. With its, really? Well, it has its yeah, own... Cult. It has its own secret language and hidden knowledge, much like the occult. So the two things are... They're the they're they have algebra. Yeah. and trig. Yeah. Still don't understand what they are. Yeah, but... but go back a couple of hundred years where science wasn't really fully science. established. And... You see someone who's saying that they can predict, you know, what's going to happen in the future based on mathematics, you're just going to assume that they're, you know, consorting with demons, aren't they? Well, you?
1: that's, I mean, essentially, this is what Merlin was
0: mm. oh, a mathematician.
1: It was a mathematician. Yeah. They touch on that in Silver in the Stone. If you watch it as an adult now, he makes so much more sense as when you were a child because when he sings that song in the disney one and he he put he, he's packing his bag mm. and he puts all his books in he says what they are and it is it's like geometry trigonometry and and it, it, yeah
0: oh there you go merlin 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 mathematician
1: mathematician yeah
0: that's why we do He Ma- was a maths wizard yeah as a result though of the general mistrust of most of the population of this newfangled maths maths books were often burned by authorities as conjuring books yeah essentially it was the same as burning the Necronomicon
1: yeah
0: it probably didn't help this view uh, when John who was only 19 at the time managed to create a sensation during the staging of a play in Trinity's main hall okay so he he wasn't an actor he was um, back room he was just going to help with the set design uh, and sorting out the props Okay, was he, like, doing those sand weights and stuff? well, the opening act of this particular play called for the hero to ride a giant dung beetle to go and meet Zeus, as you do. I don't know that play. No, that's what what (laughs) needed to happen. Uh, And John decided that if the play called for a giant flying dung beetle, then he may as well go ahead and make one. Amazing. He never revealed how he managed it, Uh but on the day his giant dung beetle did indeed take off and appeared to fly around the eaves of the hall to the astonishment of the audience and probable terror of the lead actor who was sat on the back of it oh my god there are hints as to how he pulled it off okay with references to pneumatics springs mirrors and pulleys in some of the many academic papers he would write during the following years okay so he'd obviously been studying these things yeah However, some of the learned scholars who had witnessed the flying dung beetle decided that the most reasonable explanation for how he'd done it was... Witchcraft. Demons! He'd summoned a demon. Of course he (laughs) had. placed it into a giant model of a dung beetle. To what end? To compel it to fly around at an opportune moment. Yeah, but to do exactly what they wanted it to do. Yes. So what... It just goes to prove how powerful a warlock he is. Oh my God! John D was forced to defend himself against these accusations, but by the following year, he decided the best option was a self-imposed exile in mainland Europe until the whole thing had blown over, <laughs> because they were more open to the idea that he'd found a scientific method.
1: Oh my God! Of figuring
0: out how to do this,
1: I'm loving this. Yeah.
0: So he he had to leave the the country because he made a dung beetle fly. Oh
1: my God.
0: Oh, I'll give it a few years.
1: (laughs) You see, this this would be even more ridiculous Mm. if people still didn't believe that the
0: earth was flat. But unfortunately, we still have people among us. No, the difference is they're the minority now. (sighs) These times, the people who thought it was demons was the majority. Wow. In Brussels in 1548, John Dee learned about trigonometry and its use in navigation. Trig. Making him possibly the only Englishman to have this knowledge at the time, and it also allowed him to form a lifelong and close friendship with a cartographer called Mercator, Mercator. who had the effrontery to create maps that did not place Jerusalem at the center of the world, but were actually geographically accurate. Okay. So he he went no, but this this actually this is what the world actually looks like, and everyone went blasphemy. We don't want your logic.
1: (laughs) We, we don't
0: want, want your fantasy. Ac- we don't want your accurate map. No. John also took a law course for fun and found time to begin his lifelong obsession of collecting rare and often very controversial books. Oh. Um, no, not nudie books. Uh, occult books. Forbidden knowledge books. Yakult books. Yakult. It was good for his digestion. <laughs> it books. was. Because even when you are learning geography and navigation from scratch, it is still difficult to fill 18 hours of work time every single day. Why did he impose this 18 hours? He didn't impose it. It was, he would have worked for 24 hours of every day. He grudgingly accepted that he needed to set six hours of the day aside for things that weren't studying. Wow. And it upset him greatly. Okay. John's intellectual curiosity and ability to turn his hand to practically any topic was being noticed across europe and in 1550 he was offered a position at the court of the holy roman emperor charles v all right which is a plum position you know mm. this this is massive swathes of territory and a lot of influence if you have the ear of charles v yeah and do you know what charles v he believed in science and you know he wasn't gonna accuse john d of being a well, witch every time he did something he couldn't it? immediately explain
1: you know, it doesn't. It go back to and what did the Romans ever do for us? Well, they invented this, that, and the other, mm. and they had. Was it Socrates or was he Greek? Was Greek. I can't think of a Roman one. No, they they weren't. They had famous famous Roman mathematicians. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: you know, you you have like Hippocrates, who was the Greek. One with medicine, and then you have Galen, who was the Roman one. There's always kind of a yeah a proxy between the two. In the same way, they just stole the Greek gods and just replicated them with different names. Exactly, right? They were great at doing a Roman version of the Greek.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of crossover there. But so there will there will have been like a Socrates
0: character. Oh yeah, there were there were Roman philosophers. Yeah, so I mean Marcus Aurelius was you know. A philosopher you know so i
1: I mean that doesn't kind of surprise me Mm. that openness to
0: well the enlightenment in europe was was well underway now so it wasn't considered unusual for someone to say oh no i'm using a scientific method to do something i mean a lot of it when we say science (coughs) this is still the time of uh, alchemy yeah and you know astrology was was a big thing yeah so it was there were other things going on
1: yeah, still more progressive than uh, than England at the time. Oh God, yes! By
0: quite a considerable way. However, despite the fact that it was much more, you know, sort of opening, yeah, uh, open and welcoming, even, yeah. Um, John Dee, he he was feeling a little bit homesick. Why? And oh. even though he'd not been back to England for nearly four years, he decided he did he did want to return at some point, and he didn't right. want to risk suspicion from the king. By accepting a position from a Catholic, right? Because you know, King Henry VIII was a, on a bit of an anti-Catholic tear at the moment, uh, and he was like, "Well, I think that's to put it lightly, it'll be awkward if I try to come home having worked for a Catholic ruler."
1: Yeah, let's let's not add insult to injury. I know, think, he's getting a bit heady
0: these days. Yeah, I don't want to get involved in that. And he's a
1: bit, you know. Tiggers like, tiggers don't like, isn't he? Uh, a changeable,
0: a changeable man. Tiggerish, mm. if you will. That is the cutest way to describe King Henry <laughs> VIII. Tigger-like, Tigger, you know from Winnie the Pooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I've got a four-year-old guy. Oh, he's like Tigger.
0: After a brief stint in Paris to pick up some more random knowledge and some more books, John Dee returned to England in 1551. The Reformation was now in full swing and John was confident that with a new young King Edward on the throne, he would no longer be branded as a heretic and would be welcomed to court with open arms as a key adviser. Right? He was introduced to Edward and presented the young King with two books on astronomy that he himself had written. It was another thing that he was obsessed with. He was he would write books on pretty much everything.
1: Wow, he's pretty pro- prolific then. Yeah, so
0: he'd read about he'd he'd read all the information on a subject he could, and then he'd go right now. I need to condense all of that and write the definitive work on wow whatever it was. So he's also quite self confident, <laughs> bordering on be? cocky. Yeah, the gift of the books. I don't know if young Edward understood them, but it landed him a position at court and a pension of 100 crowns a year.
1: Nice. I just imagined that he said, oh, thank you very much. He never cracked those spines and he just
0: thought, yeah, but they're first edition, so they'll be worse than But he he did get a pension of 100 crowns per year. And just to put it into perspective, John was turning 25 at the time he received that pension. Oh,
1: just a lad. Yeah. Lads,
0: lads, lads. You know, and it's it's enough... A hundred crowns at that time was more than enough to live off quite comfortably. You know, he'd he'd already cracked it. John supplemented this income by offering his services as a private tutor to the sons of leading nobles and by casting horoscopes for them in order that they could better prepare for unforeseen changes in fortunes down the road. So
1: This is right up my street. Oh, you know I love a horoscope and a tarot, Joe.
0: Yeah, it, it was one of those things. It was kind of not accepted openly no you know it was poo-pooed but the nobility were a superstitious lot so behind closed doors they definitely if they could get a leg up by knowing what was going to happen next year
1: oh yeah yeah definitely go well they used to have like like their favorite um i don't know what would you that people who do divination what would you call those a scryer yeah yeah they'd have or they'd have
0: a you know an astrologer
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, they call it something, something,
0: an advisor. Mm, Somebody who could do that. And that's what, John, it's almost like he was using the the tutoring as a cover. So Mm. he would teach the kids some stuff, but mainly they wanted him so that they could ask him those hard questions and check what they should be doing based on the position of the moon and the planets and whether they were in retrograde and all that stuff that is actually incredibly mathematically difficult to work out. Oh, yeah. So... You can say what you want about people who work out horoscopes and all that kind of stuff. If they're doing it properly, they have to put in quite a bit of work <laughs> to get it right. I mean, right being a relative term when it's mm. superstition, but still. John became a favourite at court. And within a year, he was able to exchange his pension for the income of the rectory of Upton upon Seven, which mm-hmm. at £80 per annum had the potential to double his passive income. Wow. So he traded up quite quickly. Yeah. His decision to dismiss the offers of the Catholics on the continent appeared to be paying massive dividends, and John D was all but assured a long life of wealth and influence.
1: Right, I, I, I feel we're on the cusp, good word, cusp. We're on the cusp of his downfall, I can feel it. It's all going a bit too swimmingly well for my liking.
0: There's always a twisty. I've got to stop telegraphing these twisties, haven't I? Yeah. King Edward VI died on 6th of July, 1553. Can you just remind me how old he was? He was not very old at all. I think he was still in his teens. Yeah. Hmm.
1: I've got it in my head he was 12.
0: No, no, because he was 14 when he was me and Johnny. Oh, right. okay. He had tried to disinherit his sisters by suggesting that they were bastards in the hopes that the crown could pass to his cousin, Lady Jane Grey, who was also a Protestant. However, this plan famously lasted only nine days. Yeah. Before Mary, a Catholic, Mm. was declared Queen of England. So, John, who had poo-pooed a Catholic emperor in the hopes of being in with the royal crown, suddenly found himself with a Catholic monarch.
1: Yeah. There's a really good um, TV adaptation, documentary-esque thing about Lady Jane Grey with Helena Bonham Carter in it as a... When she was a lot, 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 lot younger. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, she made me watch it. Oh, and did I? I? Yes,
0: yes, she made me watch it. Oh, right.
1: Mm. but yeah, I'd... it's very sensitively done. It's sensitively done, and it's worth a watch if you can find it on like Prime or but Netflix or whatever.
0: The attempt to subvert what Mary saw as her God given right to rule. Hang on a minute. Hmm? Where's Lizzie one? She's younger than Mary. She's the younger of the two sisters.
1: Are they sisters? I thought they They're were half sisters
0: they're both daughters of Henry VIII oh, see, they just have is... different mothers oh, Right. and the first one was Mary so she got a go first she got first crack and she decided
1: the, grump, the grumpy Scottish one
0: no that's Mary Queen of Scots this is Bloody Mary I don't know this one uh, this is Mary the Queen between Edward VI the Queen and... between she's the Queen betwixt Edward VI and Elizabeth I then I don't think I've ever heard okay, of it. okay well she was a bit miffed that people had tried to take away her position as queen and she decided that she was going to have a massive crackdown on any protestants at court who may have been involved in the plot this included john's father roland the rat who was made destitute practically overnight
1: was he still alive what was he he was still alive he
0: was he was still tailoring Oh, he, But oh, because yeah. he was he was a Protestant and he'd been at court at the time when the Lady Jane Grey thing had been going down, she's oh, like and God. and the rat, put the rat in the sewer with his stupid brummy accent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he was made destitute immediately. Oh. John tried to keep his head down and hope that his association with the Holy Roman Emperor, mm. who he poo pooed, would be enough to convince Mary that he was a good sort. Not a chance. Ah well you see at first it did seem to work. Oh then in 1555 confident that the last of the protestant conspirators had been rooted out mary began burning heretics.
1: What's a heretic
0: what's uh, that mean? In this in this instance anyone who wasn't fully high catholic. Right. So anyone who wasn't practicing oh my full high Is catholicism.
1: High catholic.
0: Yeah like bells and smells and 15-hour Masses in Latin. Oh, my God. The first heretic was canon of St Paul's Cathedral, John Rogers, who was deemed a heretic for being both a priest and happily married with her children. With her children?
1: With her children. He has
0: her children. He has our children. (laughs) He was burned in Smithfield Meat Market in January. (laughs) He will be followed by around 500 others all over the country. Wow. By May of 1555, an arrest warrant had been issued for John Dee, who had been spending a bit too much time with men suspected to be advisors to the Protestant princess, Elizabeth. Oh, no. So he'd been trying to hedge his bets and yeah. been trying to, while not upsetting Mary, sort of putting in some face time with her younger sister, thinking, well, if this goes tits up, I want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he'd been called on on the fact that he was... He was trying to play both sides of this particular argument. Okay. But even worse than his associations with the young princess. Yeah. And the reason, really, he was arrested mm. was his association with mathematics.
1: Oh, bloody maths.
0: Which was pretty much... See,
1: I knew it was no
0: good. and and I, I knew it. Well, in Mary's eyes, this was pretty much tantamount to summoning the devil himself. I agree. And Dee's actual... The charge that was made against Dee in the end... Mm. was that he had, with malice of forethought, engaged in calculating. (laughs) Amazing. Which is weird, because she was expecting taxes to be paid at the same time, this queen. It's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't.
1: Absolutely. But to be, I'm with her. I'm with her. Down with maths.
0: Down with the maths. A few witnesses were produced who claimed that Dee had used his heretical equations to try and curse Queen Mary. They even God. found a guy who was willing to testify, under oath, that Dee and his complex long division had caused one of his children to go blind and had <laughs> actually killed another. Well,
1: believe it. <laughs> um, Maths has made me blind. <laughs>
0: I don't, I don't think sitting on GCSE maths that that would have worked. The problem was, it's like, <laughs> can you point out the man in court who made you go blind? No! It was him! Oh, shit. That's a door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's tragic. <laughs> he had his whole life ahead of him. John had his income from Upton confiscated and was sent for further examination by a bishop called Edmund Bonner. What do you mean, further examination? What well, was... they had to check to see if he needed burning. He'd already he'd been charged with calculating. He'd had his estates confiscated, but they were like, we just need to check how far this calculation goes. So they sent him to be examined by Edmund Bonner, who's better known not as the baby eating Bishop of Bath and Wells, but as the bloody Bishop of London. Oh wow! Who personally signed hundreds of documents confirming the heretical status of Protestants who had just been going about their day not believing in transubstantiation like dicks before being dragged into his chambers so he he basically random people were being brought in front of him and he was testing them on if they understood the nuances of Catholicism and if they made the slightest misstep he was like right well uh, may as well burn you just to be on the safe side, next See I thought he was strip searching them well, for it... signs of
1: numbers <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm buggered. I've got an 11 tattooed on my arm. I know. That'd be me gone. No, on. I
1: just imagine like a, I don't know, some kind of 666 tattooed on his
0: ass. Just like, oh my God. Devil's spawn! I was 16. We We're in Magaluf. What do you want from me? <laughs> we're on a lad's weekend. I know it's shit. You know it's shit. Can we just drop we're it? We're in Fawengi Roller. We don't know how the interrogations went for John. But by the autumn, he'd been made a chaplain and was assisting his new friend Edmund Bonner in interrogating other suspected heretics. Oh
1: my so God. So I assume they went well. Well, you can imagine, I mean, somebody who studies for 18 hours a day, I'm not being funny, but it's a bit like people who go to, into Bake Off a bit without doing the research. You do your bloody research just in case at some point you might need something that'll save your life. Well, there you go. Mm. I mean, Bake Off, not quite that brutal. But I can't stand, they go into this competition not knowing how to make
0: a roux. I mean, it comes up every bloody year. How can you be that underprepared? I love how you've managed to segue from uh, Burning Heretics to The Bake Off and your anger therein.
1: <laughs> see this has been burning for weeks. You yeah. can see I was watching Stand Up To Cancer Bake Off and it's just like, you know you're going on it. How can you not yeah, make That's that's scones.
0: That's like on easy mode, isn't it? It's like, make a exactly. Biscuit. Still mess it up. But I know, I know you're thinking, and yeah, it is true, he did have a very good grasp of the Bible. He understood it and he could argue from any point. But I think probably the reason that he was able to flip so quickly was because he did not have the attention span to commit to a specific Christian doctrine.
1: See, no, I, I just imagine that, you know, with... With the churches being at war as they were at that time, would you not just kind of swat up on well, he had. the
0: opposing thing and then just hold that knowledge? No, he had, but he didn't see it as an opposing thing because John D. he didn't have an attention span, but he had an almighty ego. Right, okay. And he figured that he would eventually be the man who would find out the truth... Of a grand unifying Christian theory that would bring Catholics, Protestants, and all the different denominations together on his own. And he believed that mathematics was the key that would unlock his grand unifying theory. So he was able to play the Catholic because, as far as he was concerned, it was just one of the many Mm. slightly erroneous Christian sects. And Uh that he was eventually going to teach them all the error of their ways. But he had to be alive to do it. So it was very important Perfect that he he lived,
1: harmony.
0: not so much at this point because his, you know, self preservation did mean that he had to take part in interrogations where his contributions personally helped to condemn many others to a lingering and painful death. But oh, oh that's just sad. Away she comes. He's he's making an omelette. He's going to break some eggs. He is. he's John know. Day? No. For the rest of the reign of Queen Mary, mm. John Dee busied himself collecting as many books as possible as a pretext to spend long periods of time away from England. Mm. Oh, not blame Ostensibly, he said he was collecting the books for a royal library. But this idea had not been agreed with the Queen. <laughs> and John Dee was temporarily storing these books at his own house. Okay. Adding to the collection, not only by buying books or copying them out handwritten by himself.
1: Oh, my so he would, God. So if he
0: wasn't allowed to keep a bug, he would borrow it and he would write it out.
1: Yeah, but I'm not being funny. Like, could you imagine how much more you'd get done without current day, like, distractions? No TV, no internet, no phones. Mm. No radio.
0: I'd be buggered doing a podcast. If you'd have a be... Lot of these
1: things. You'd have so much time on your hands. Mm. You know, I mean, even travel. I don't know Morris dancing. I know, even. I mean, could you imagine even travel? It's like you, there's no jumping in the car and nipping Sainsbury's. Like you right. just to wouldn't
0: some crude schnapps from a turnip.
1: Exactly. Oh, I, I don't know. Want to drink there's no hinge. going down big Asters.
0: I'm glad I live in this age. I know, yeah. but
1: I mean, but just I mean, I, so what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm not surprised he mm. could copy out entire tombs. Tomes. tomes 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 and uh you know and write out full books and stuff it, it doesn't well, surprise even, me even 18
0: he, hours of even he got sick of it at times because sometimes he just resorted to straight up theft it's like there's a really nice book can i buy it no can i borrow it to copy it no Yoink.
1: yeah i'll just rip the pages out and give you back the cover it's fine
0: <laughs> he also began writing more of his own scientific books starting with one called the proper Dumata which focused entirely on astrology and stated that everything in the universe emitted rays, which acted upon other objects they struck, which some people believe to be a very early attempt to define physics over a century before Sir Isaac Newton had his eureka moment with an apple.
1: Oh, no, no. No, We're not going down that road, Joe. What? Isaac Newton? No, we're not. I'm just saying... No. Do you not remember the story that I told you where I can't, in my head, differentiate between Isaac Newton and William Tell.
0: Oh, yes. And Robin Hood. Yeah.
1: So, to me, the three of Sir them... Sir Isaac,
0: Robin, Tell.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I like to think that they that I, I Sir letcha, Isaac I Newton think I was nearly... from the rich to give to the poor. I
1: nearly finished my mum off that day when we were talking about Isaac Newton and I went, oh, yeah, you know, the guy who shot an apple off his son's head. And she nearly weed. She actually nearly weed. She couldn't look at me in the eye. And she's just like, he's not Robin Hood. And I was just like, no, that guy who did it for a bet. And I was like, no, you mean William Tell. The fact is, when we then started
0: humming the William Tell over to you, you you went, oh, the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. Hi-ho, Silver. And then we got on to Johnny Depp again and you told me all about about Johnny and his current troubles. But yeah, the theory that he was predating the advent of physics is slightly weakened by the fact that he insisted that the rays could also act upon your very soul and that they were ultimately created by God. I mean, it's an interesting theory, isn't it? It's, It's a thought exercise. I wouldn't go so far as to call it a theory.
1: No, but like, I'm
0: sure I've read something
1: about... A religion or a a belief system somewhere where, you know, everything within the world has an impact on you. I'm sure I've read it.
0: Yes, the butterfly effect. That tiny, insignificant things somewhere else in the world will have a knock-on effect that can have massive ramifications. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the that, that's the essential. Mandela the, is the Mandela? The Mandela? Mandela? Mandala? Mandala? The butterfly effect. I'll go for the film, Hollywood. Yeah. One. So,
1: I mean, is that not the same thing?
0: No, no, no. he's saying that directly. Um, it, it almost Right, like, so this cupboard would be sending a ray out. Yeah, and that would impact on you. But I th- what people thought was he was sort of defining gravity before gravity right. was a thing. Oh, I see. In right, terms okay. of, you know, objects have an impact on other objects. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but, you know, maybe. But the timing of his refocus on astrology proved to be very lucky indeed as when mary died in november 1558 the new queen elizabeth i decided that she needed the best astronomer in the country to select the most auspicious date for her coronation
1: Ooh. to ensure that her
0: reign was blessed by god yeah mm. if you do it on a wet tuesday and he was gunning for a sunny friday he's going to be pissed at you as our lord and savior
1: is this where that that rhyme about the days of the week and Monday's child
0: no, comes I from no don't think so
1: oh right okay just thought I'd ask
0: despite having worked for the Catholic regime for the previous three years the job went to Jonathan D oh oh Johnny D JD who selected January the 15th 1559 the coronation went off without a hitch and John D oh sorry D.
1: What, can you just say that date again my brain just refused it
0: because it's a number go on January 15th okay 1559 the coronation went off without a hitch mm. and John D, confident in the support of the new queen, began expanding his interests by dabbling in Kabbalah as a possible new route to a grand unifying theory of Christianity, because apparently Kabbalah is quite number heavy in terms of know. its symbolism. I don't. I don't know either. I, I just th- know Madonna tried it for a while. I don't even know what it is. It's like, a, it's a, I believe it's sort of like a Jewish sect. Um, so it's still sort of Abrahamic religions, but it's a very sort of... Um... Write in, dear readers, listeners, and fans.
1: No, no, let's be fair. Fan. Fan. You know who you are. Um, if
0: you have any more information, rather than our waffle, yeah, let us know. On any of the subjects we cover, to be honest. Please. It was during this time that he began to become obsessed, though, with the idea of angels. And the possibility... Of summoning them. Is this angel numbers? Is this where angel numbers comes from? Though as this was John Dee, he was studying this idea alongside developing a series of ciphers, as he had spent a small fortune to borrow a legendary book called the Stegnographia in Antwerp. And even though he paid what would have been like a lifetime wage for a, you know, a, a lowly peasant. Yeah. He'd rented it for 10 days. But because it's John Dee, he spent the 10 days copying it out in its entirety, barely completing the task despite his 18-hour workday. Wow. He shared his developments in ciphers and codes with William Cecil, who found them incredibly useful when setting up England's first formalised spy network. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And we have been at the forefront of espionage ever since. So, John Dee, thanks for 007. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth saw immediately that Dee was a chaotic force.
1: Oh, God, gotcha. yeah. But
0: he was able to come up with ideas that no one else in her court could. Mm. She tolerated his increasing occult leanings, as he was starting to suggest that angels could not only be summoned, but could be used to pass messages over great distances, if only he could get the incantations right. So his idea was, you would summon an angel, you would whisper a secret to the angel, mm. and the angel would go away, and then... The person that you wanted to send a message to would summon the same angel, and the angel would then whisper the secret to that person and go, S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S. "What like a fax?" Essentially, yeah, he's he's thinking <laughs> you can use the holy host of God Himself as a <laughs> fax machine. I'm thinking as a glorified carrier pigeon. Oh, God. I think mean, they've both got wings. You oh, can see where he's coming well, I'm from. Just
1: thinking, like fax machines. you've got
0: to type the numbers in, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. She she thought he was worthwhile to the point where she even visited his house personally on two separate occasions. Oh, my So God. she gave him a personal visit. Firstly, to offer condolences at the death of his second wife. And then again... Oh, to my God, he was married! Twice at this point. Freaking nut, John. And then again to pay respects when his mother died. And apparently both times, John Dee was incredibly awkward. <laughs> Didn't know how to respond to the Queen just being at his doorstep. Just rocking up, like... Hello, one is here. You imagine she has exactly the same voice as Elizabeth II, don't you? Yes.
1: All yes. royal people sound the same yeah. to me.
0: Oh, is that how King Henry VIII sounded? One is very annoyed. One will one chop off a your beard. head. One it's is corgi. <laughs> yeah, but apparently Bring he... forth my corgi. It's like when whenever he went to court, he always had a, a, a thing he was championing or a reason. He was always selling something to her. Yeah. But when she turned up at his house, he was just like, just couldn't handle it, couldn't compute it. It was like, I, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, yes, mom. Uh, okay. And he'd just go and grab random shit that he had in his house and sort of show it to her. <laughs> it's like, look, it's, it's an abacus. She'd go, oh, that's, that's lovely, John. How are you doing, though? Because your mum's just died, hasn't she? Oh, it's, don't worry about that, Majesty. Look. What? Oh, it's, it's lovely.
1: Came from Holland. Oh, my God. To be honest, though, if people, if people come here unexpected, I'm probably no better. Catch me on a bad day, I mean.
0: His house at Mortlake, mm. which literally means Death Lake. I was going to say Death Lake. Now housed the largest library in England, as well as the largest collection of scientific instruments. Mm. It was said that Dee was happy for anyone to visit his library and he could find them a book on any subject in an instant, despite having no formal filing system. However, the rarest books, and those considered to contain forbidden knowledge, he housed in an inner library that no one else was allowed to enter, almost a physical manifestation of his own brain. He had his inner sanctum. The true John D made material.
1: Ridiculous. It's like the forbidden section <clears throat> at Hogwarts.
0: Yeah, it was. Mm. That's where they got it from. Yeah. He was generally shunned at court by the uh, the rest of the nobles. But when there was a blazing star in the sky, a mysterious illness or a suspected curse, John Dee was the guy to go and see. He was the lad. It's like he he was the guy that everyone. He made everyone uncomfortable, but he served enough of a purpose that everyone tolerated him. Yeah. He would charge a small fee for his services and essentially became a consulting magician to the nobility of London. Which is one hell of a job to hold. I mean, what a title. That's something to have on your grave, isn't it? Magician. He spent the early fifteen seventies dabbling in alchemy, adding a new room filled with bubbling test tubes to his house at Mortlake.
1: Amazing.
0: But he soon realised that these experiments were costing him more money than he was making. Aww. And he approached the Royal Court with a new idea to make gold. During some <laughs> downtown No, 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 he's not he's not making gold.
1: <laughs> no. It's just instant picture of that. Blackadder episode. A nugget of purest green. (laughs) It's going to say when they're making the green.
0: (laughs) Well, during a little bit of downtime, he found a few hours. John Dee had studied geology, geography and mining techniques. Wow. He also had his skills as a cartographer and divination. So he proposed that he be given money to chase down buried treasure across the globe, much like an Elizabethan Indiana Jones. Oh
1: my God.
0: But no sooner had he bought a fedora and a bullwhip <laughs> when a reply came from his old friend William Cecil, the spymaster, saying that the Queen had decided reluctantly not to agree to the scheme at oh. this time. However, she would be obliged if he would teach some merchants the basics of navigation at sea as they had come to her with a scheme to find the Northwest Passage, which she believed would prove a lot more profitable. And as you know, yep. they didn't find it. No. Because it wasn't found for many a yar. No. Unfortunately, he was asked to complete the task in less than a month, mm. with the captains of the three ships going on the expedition insisting that they didn't need to be taught nothing from no landlubber. Oh what? <laughs> the fleet did not find the Northwest Passage, as not one member of the 34-strong crew were Norwegian. But they did find Canada, where they promptly kidnapped a native Canadian and returned home with some samples of the local rock. They, they literally just took a Canadian... Why? Because they, the Canadians saw this massive honking ship in the harbour and they sailed a canoe out to have a chat and see what they wanted. Yeah. And the English looked down and went, oh, look, there's people here. And they tried to communicate, found they couldn't, and went, oh, all right, we'll just take one. So they just grabbed one and sailed off. We'll figure out their language on the way. Oh, my God. Yeah. The rock proved to be a lot more interesting than a Canadian. Oh, I bet. Uh, and it was inspected and reported to contain traces of gold. Well, Yeah. This led to calls for a new expedition to formally claim Canada for England mm. in order that all the mineral wealth would go to Queen Elizabeth because, as you know, by this time the Spanish were in South America oh, with loads of gold. So the English just assumed this entire continent's probably just one one massive gold seam. I was going to say, it's a massive just seam of gold. And the Spanish haven't called dibs on the cold bit at the top and we're hearty English folks, so we'll, we'll you know, go through the depredations of... of being in canada in order to get a leg up in terms of our gold supply oh, thus thus starts us essentially ruining the world the second expedition returned with tons of rock i mean like tons and tons the ships didn't have enough food to get back really no. so a lot of people died but, but they on had rocks. shit tons of rocks but it was found that the amount of gold actually present didn't cover the expense of the voyage. Oh, no. This was an issue for Dee specifically, as he had invested most of his dwindling finances into the scheme. Oh, God. He was now beginning his 50s, and like many men entering their middle age, and feeling that th- their life hasn't quite panned out the way they wanted oh, to. Oh, my God, what's his crisis? What's yeah. his crisis?
1: Is he going to cut his hair? Is he going to grow a beard? Is he going to get a motorcycle?
0: What's going to happen? Firstly, he got himself a hot new wife, 23-year-old Jane Fromans. Jeez. And they immediately got busy making children, ending up with with seven or eight in total. Oh my God, the dirty old man. Uh, Well, the dirty, virile old man. Let's give him his props. He didn't need no Viagras. Icky. But this only reduced his existential dread for a short period of time. And when a fiery meteor turned the sky above Mortlake red with blood on March 8th, 1582, mm. Mm. he was reminded that despite all of his tireless study he was yet to summon a single angel to give him tangible proof of the spiritual realm. Right. It was during this low ebb on the day of the meteor yeah. that he met a man by the name of Edward Tolbert. Sorry, Talbot or tog-but. Talbot. Talbot. Right. It doesn't matter anyway because his actual name was Edward Kelly but he was using Talbot to try and cover up his prior conviction for forging. So he's a good man.
1: Mm, Edward was only
0: 26, but was already a well-practiced con man and swindler. Uh And when he heard that John Dee wanted to talk to angels, he mentioned that he actually had a little bit of experience in that line. Oh, I bet he bloody did. Fucking Del Boy. Talk to angels? I can (laughs) talk to angels. Which angel do you want? How do you want? (laughs) Push, 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 push,
1: push, (laughs) push.
0: During his very first angelic summoning session with Dee, Edward Kelly was able to chat to... Oriel, who you may know as the angel who warned Noah about the flood. So this is some top-tier angeling that you mm. managed to get. It seemed almost unbelievable that they <laughs> would get... Almost c- untrue! ...that they would get connected with an archangel <gasps> on the very first go. But here we were. Oh, Lord. D he took this as a sign that he was meant to communicate with angels. Oh. Again, midlife crisis. I just... I imagine...
1: <laughs> I imagine now a man kind of looking scratty with one squinty eye and one wide eye, kind of like with a twitch, Hmm. and he's just absolutely certifiable.
0: I'm not saying he was at his best here. No. The many, many years of no sleep may be catching up with John Dee at this point, and the fact that he's tired from all the sex in. I was going to say... He asked the Archangel, who was definitely speaking to him through this con man, uh, for help in extracting hidden knowledge from one of his books called The Book of Soiga. Okay. But was told that only the angel Michael could do that. And he could only be summoned if Dee and Edward Kelly worked closely together over a long period of time, while Dee was paying all of Kelly's expenses.
1: I was just going to say, while he was paying him an extortionate amount of money. It was essential bankrupting himself and then
0: um essentially just disappear i assume yeah because what edward kelly was actually doing was preying on the growing desperation of an aging d who was willing to go ahead with anything that was suggested if there was even the slightest chance that it might be genuine and it might work but that's not to say that kelly wasn't working hard for his money over the course of the next year he helped d to fill seven whole books with angelic communications which meant wow. he was putting on his angel voice for hours at a time, pretty much every evening, and having to spout stuff.
1: Yeah, but that—that's like hilarious. You just get really pissed, <laughs> <laughs> and you just talk random. Another thing.
0: Another thing. It was supposed to—it was supposed to be the dogs that ruled. You were a mistake, you humans. Fucking dogs don't let you down. Squirrel. <laughs> Edward Kelly had also gotten married to a woman called Joanna at the start of 1583 mm. and had quickly realised that he actually couldn't stand her <laughs> so hey, it's almost Joanna. like he'd been, he'd been working was so hard was she wet with, lettuce? well I think it was just he'd been working so hard with John D yeah. that he just he needed someone who could be there for him yeah just to comfort him after another long session talking to an aging man in an angel voice
1: yeah
0: and then once he got a bit of clarity after they got married he was like actually I know nothing about you mm-hmm. I don't like you mm-hmm. why did I marry you conveniently around the same time that he decided he didn't want his marriage mm. the angel said that Edward and John D should go on a European tour to try and convince all the heads of state of the potential benefits of a hotline to the angelic host hmm and specifically, the angel said that while John Dee's wife could come, uh, yeah, yeah, Joanna shouldn't come. Because it would it would impair the, the connection. Right. Mm. This would be the start of six years of travelling, during which time they singularly failed to convince anyone of note that their experiences were genuine. Because they weren't. And much like a stadium rock band, after five years of touring, the relationship between Dee and Kelly became increasingly strained. Okay... Kelly realised that he had bled Dee of all the money he had. Now? After like 10 years? And he was already planning his next con of pretending to be an alchemist able to create gold from coal dust. Mm. But he needed a way to get rid of Dee, whilst making Dee think it was his decision to break up the band. During the final communication with angels together in 1588, Mm. Mm. Kelly reported that the angels were very... Very insistent that the two men engage in a bit of wife-swapping. I bet they bloody did. Mm. D he wasn't sure, but, you know, he, he was all in on this angel thing. He'd just spent his last few gold coins. Mm-hmm. He'd been travelling for six years. He'd abandoned his library mm-hmm. and any hope of sort of, you know, <laughs> having a position at court. <laughs>
1: Where are you in your life? I've abandoned all hope. I am in mm. my 50s. As you know, I'm now... In my 60s yep. and i have abandoned all
0: hope yeah so it had to be true so mm-hmm. he reluctantly agreed to the spiritual command keys in a bowl chaps yeah but immediately afterwards was wracked with guilt and never tried to contact angels with kelly again incidentally about nine months after this episode his wife jane gave birth to her eighth child one which didn't resemble d quite as much as the previous seven had interesting Dee and his now slightly larger family returned to Mortlake in 1589 to find that the house had been ransacked in his absence,
1: with many of his most
0: prized books and all of his scientific instruments that he painstakingly collected over a lifetime stolen. Oh, that's terrible. Facing destitution, Dee was reliant on the pity of Queen Elizabeth, who made him Warden of Christ College in Manchester. However, this just forced him to move to Manchester, where he was ridiculed daily by the student body for ever believing that he had been speaking to angels. It's just like an open secret that he'd been oh taken in. Oh my God.
1: And do you know what? Manchester students aren't kind. No. <laughs> I was one. I know.
0: <laughs> there was no pity. No,
1: there's no pity. It's like, be tough or be picked on.
0: Yeah. <coughs> he, he hacked it until 1595. By this time, his wife Jane had died of the plague and oh. King James was on the throne, who, for obvious reasons, did not want to be associated with Dee at all. What happened to Lizzie One? She died. Did she? Eventually, yeah. He outlived her? Yeah, he saw four monarchs. No, he saw Henry, Edward, Mary, Elizabeth. He saw five monarchs in his lifetime. Wow. Mm. For the times, though. Wow. Dee's final years were spent in poverty at his house in Mortlake oh. where he was forced to slowly sell off all his remaining collection oh
1: now that's, that's horrible No, that's horrible. dismantling
0: now. his life piece by piece as a constant reminder of all the wasted promise of his youth oh. John Dee never did find the secrets he was searching for that we know of and died at the age of 81 in 1609 with his daughter by his side he may have taken some comfort in the fact that he had outlived Edward Kelly, who had been imprisoned when it turned out he couldn't make gold, and had died in 1597 while trying to escape. Do you know he what? He literally tried to climb out of a tower and fell. I really hope, I really hope
1: that John D found out that and somewhere, you know, somehow laughed about
0: that. No, he did know about it because... Oh, he did know about yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, what what did I say? He died in 1609. He outlived um, Edward Kelly by over
1: a decade. Yeah, I know. But what I'm saying is like, he might not have found out about it, but...
0: Oh, I'm sure. He I'm found sure out. he
1: found out about it.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Even when he says, heh, heh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, either way, I think the moral of this story is that being interested in maths can be a very dangerous thing. And we should all avoid it.
1: Yeah, but also key to a long life because Jesus
0: Christ. Yeah, sixteen oh nine, so twenty seven. Come on, work it out.
1: Nope.
0: Okay, so three. Uh, this is exactly what I'm saying. Maths. No. Eighty two. He was eighty two. He was eighty two. Yeah. He got eighty two years, which wasn't bad for the time.
1: It was phenomenal for the time.
0: And the source that I used for this a very extensive source, and to be honest of all the stories I didn't cover like even a quarter of his little side hustles and little schemes and little interests do you know what I might have a little look into him mm-hmm. because he sounds fascinating he was the book though was The Queen's Conjurer by Benjamin Woolley Woolley and it was it, honestly you could have made it into a six parter because all of those little asides you know like the thing with Canada yeah oh my god that was, there was so much more to that the thing about just, just the the dung beetle that he made yeah fly that's enough for an entire episode
1: yeah so if somebody like liked part of this tale that we spam that is real by the way
0: oh this guy definitely existed yeah
1: so if you like part of it you're you're advising people to like look into it further because there's plenty more to go off there
0: it's a juicy story yes fab Mm. it's a very interesting time in terms of it's England being dragged by a few guys kicking and screaming into the Enlightenment. Mm. There were just these few people who were like, "Look, we are going to fall so far behind if we don't do this." Mm. Seriously, come on, guys. Well, good on them, mm. trailblazers. But yes, yeah, so that is the story of the Angel Whisperer John D. and and he didn't didn't solve Christianity, but you know, he tried, and that's the main thing. Yeah. How'd you solve a problem like Jehovah? Yeah, I think I'm done now, Joe.
1: <laughs> Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric, here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on ACAST, Spotify, and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at consistently eccentric podcast where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.